Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to June's podcast series on one month to better investigations and internal reportings. So what do you do when the call, the email, or the personal tip comes into your office where an employee reports suspicious activity somewhere literally across the globe? That activity might well turn into a Foreign Corrupt Practices Act issue for your company. In today's climate, it can turn into issues under lots of different anti-corruption jurisdictions. The Brazilian Clean Companies Act, the UK Bribery Act, or even domestic anti-corruption laws such as brought GSK to bear in China. As the Chief Compliance Officer, it will be up to you to begin the process which will determine in many instances how your company will respond going forward and will set the tone throughout this most difficult period. This month's podcast series will provide to you all the steps you need to consider going forward. I'm going to take a look at independent versus in-house investigations, investigation protocols, the different resources that a compliance practitioner may bring to bear in an investigation, such as internal audit, IT, and legal. And I'll take a look at special issues such as privilege, Upjohn and Miranda warnings, data privacy, and of course, the Yates memo and its effect. I think you will learn a lot this month if you follow this podcast series. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to the June podcast series. Day 14. Miranda and the FCPA, do you have the right to remain silent? As an investigator, do you warn a company employee that concealing information from company lawyers or other investigators conducting an internal investigation around FCPA could be a federal fine, excuse me, federal crime. Even if company attorneys handling an investigation provide the now standard corporate upjohn warnings, how does a company attorney asking questions morph into a de facto federal agent during an internal investigation regarding alleged FCPA violations? Is the attorney thereby required to provide a Miranda warning to FCPA investigations? These questions have become more important after the Yates Memo. But in an article prior to the Yates Memo entitled Navigating Potential Pitfalls in Conducting Internal Investigation, Upjohn Warnings, Corporate Miranda and Beyond, Craig Margolis and Lindsay Valla of the law firm of Vincent and Elkins explore the pitfalls faced by counsel, both in-house and outside investigative counsel, and corporations when an employee admits <clears throat> to wrongdoing during an internal investigation and where such pro- uh, conduct is reported to the U.S. government, with the employee being criminally prosecuted thereafter under the FCPA. Obviously, Upjohn warning should be given, but the question, one of the questions the authors raised was, what about a Miranda warning? Employees who are subject to being interviewed or otherwise required to cooperate in an internal investigation may find themselves on the sharp horns of a dilemma requiring either cooperating with the internal investigation or losing their jobs for failures to cooperate by providing documents, testimony, or other evidence. And if you don't think that happens, recall the recent termination of the head of the driverless car program at Uber. Many U.S. businesses mandate full cooperation with internal investigations or those handled by outside counsel on behalf of a corporation. These requirements can exert a coercive force, often inducing employees to act contrary to their personal legal interests in favor of candidly disclosing wrongdoing to a corporation. 
Moreover, such a corporate policy may permit a company to claim to the government a spirit of cooperation in hopes of avoiding prosecution and in addition to increasing the chances of earning meaningful credit going forward. When the U.S. government compels such testimony through the mechanism of inducing a company to coerce its employees into cooperation with an internal investigation by threatening job loss or other economic penalty, the in-house counsel's action may (coughs) raise Fifth Amendment due process and voluntariness concerns because the underlying compulsion was brought by a state actor, namely the U.S. government. Margolis and Vala note that by utilizing corporate counsel and pressuring corporations to cooperate, the U.S. government is sometimes able to achieve indirectly what it might not be able to achieve on its own, inducing employees to waive their Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination and minimizing the effectiveness of defense counsel assistance. Now consider all of that in the context of the Yates Memo. Under the Yates Memo, corporations are required, as in required, to investigate individuals at the start and then turn that information over to uh, the government. So if that is now required to receive any cooperation credit, does that make in-house counsel de facto members or investigators for the government? Because it's not only investigate, but it's mandated to turn over that information. So how does that work into uh, any of these criminal procedure protections that are in place against government regulators? Previously, the question was whether a corporation knew that the in-house investigation would be turned over to the government. After the Yates memo, I think you have to assume that such investigation will be turned over to the government. So what are the pitfalls if private counsel (coughs) compels such testimony and it's used against an employee in a criminal proceeding under the FCPA? Investigative counsel, whether corporate or outside counsel, could face state bar disciplinary proceedings. What if, for instance, someone who is uh, interviewed and not giving a warning, uh, files a grievance against such lawyer. Corporation could face disqualification of its own counsel and disqualified counsel's investigative results. Really, the the best part might be to warn employees. So the moment a company launches an internal investigation, its key employees, whether they're scheduled for an interview or not, should be warned about federal consequences of destroying or hiding evidence, <clears throat> because what's up to sta- what is potentially at stake is up to 40 years in jail. Also consider the case of Rose Carson at CCI. Rose Carson was charged by the Department of Justice with <clears throat> destruction, obstruction of an investigation through the destruction of documents. Her destruction of documents came when she was on her way to be interviewed by in-house counsel. She was not uh, going to be interviewed by any government uh, attorneys or the FBI. Nevertheless, she was charged with a federal crime of, of obstructing an investigation. Now, the charge was eventually dismissed, so there's no ruling from the court one way or the other. But clearly, uh, once you have this done once, it pretends that it could very well happen again. So what are today's three key takeaways? Well, the first one is, if you are in-house counsel, I think you have to be very, very, very careful. Certainly, you have to give the Upjohn warning, and most in-house counsel are are certainly familiar with the Upjohn warning. But uh, 
if you are going to use the information to turn over to the government and there's a criminal uh, possibility, I think you may need to give a Miranda warning. Two, you need to think through the, the considerations of what happens when you do give a Miranda warning. Is that going to require an a, a interviewee to uh, obtain their own counsel? If so, who's going to pay for that counsel? Is the company going to pay for that counsel? Some uh, companies uh, make clear that they will pay for counsel for all employees in an investigation to give their employees comfort. Some uh, do not make that uh, offer. Uh, But if you're going to have uh, insurance pay for that counsel and it's an intentional act or criminal uh, offense, there may not be money for that. So what's going to be the employee's response in terms of having counsel? And then three, how are you going to use this information going forward? Under the Yates memo, uh, you have to turn over all information, which is no uh, obviously something that you have to do as soon as is practicable. But where are you going to take this uh, up the line for senior management? In a pr- previous podcast, I discussed conscious indifference. Are you going to use that information, and, and if so, if you have uh, someone who's not admitted to doing anything, but they've admitted, uh, or at least the facts uh, indicate that they have not paid attention, is that going to be enough for criminal action? And if so, do you need to give a Miranda warning? And if so, do you have um, any sort of obligation under your state bar regulations? It's a very interesting question. All of these questions are very uh, troubling. I think uh, we're going to have to flesh some of these out going forward. At this point, uh, you, as a lawyer, have duty under state bar regulations. Corporations have duties uh, to their shareholders and stockholders. And under the FCPA, there may be yet a third set of duties as articulated in the Yates memo. So it's, it's all uh, in flux, and you're going to have to consider your positions in every one of these. I hope you've enjoyed this day 14 of one month to better investigations and reporting, and I hope you'll join me tomorrow for day 15. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate the podcast as it would help in our rankings and also help get the word out about the only one-month podcast series to a better compliance program. Also, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me. You can reach me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much again for listening, and I hope you'll join me again for one month to better investigations and reporting. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.